You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Download past shows and become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. Having Henry has caused me to be, I think, more compassionate towards other people, towards other adults, because I think in some ways I was younger before I had Henry. I I was more naive, I was more innocent maybe, but I realized really everyone sort of has probably something that's made their lives a little more complicated, and you don't always know what that is, but I think we all need to be open to the idea that we all have something going on, and if we all come from it from that perspective, I think we'll just be better people. You know, in a lot of ways, we're extremely lucky, and we have we have a lot of resources. We're going to have options, a variety of options for Henry as he gets older, I think. So we're kind of reaching out a little more because these kids that they'll be competing against in other towns, some of them when they become adults and leave the public schools, these are kids that they're going to be hanging out with, you know, whether in day programs or working side by side. So it's, it's good to get that connection with them as early as we can. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Seabags, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Dream Kitchen Studios, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 124, Special Olympians, airing for the first time on Sunday, January 26, 2014. Today's guests include Raf Adams and Cree Swift, parents of Special Olympian Henry, and Karen Johnson, also a parent of a past Special Olympian and a coach and coordinator of the Special Olympics team in Cape Elizabeth. The 2014 Olympic Games are soon upon us, this year being held in Sochi, Russia. While we are awed by the athletes who bring evidence of their talent and hard work to the worldwide stage, there are children and adults who cause a quiet awe daily. These are our Special Olympians and the parents and volunteers who work with them. Today we speak with Raf Adams, Cree Swift, and Karen Johnson, who share their experiences with parenting and coaching the children and adults who inspire us in unexpected ways. Thank you for joining us. Not so long ago, we did a program about Scotty Wenzel and the Morrison Center and the work that the Morrison Center is doing with people in this area who have disabilities of various sorts. Today, we are speaking with Raf Adams and Cree Swift, both of whom are the parents of two sons, um, Dylan and Henry, and Henry, who is in first grade, has Down syndrome. Cree Swift is a partner in the law firm Sidley Austin. And Raf Adams is the owner of the Sopo Sup shop in South Portland. And in fact, we've had Raf on the show before. And both Raf and Cree are longtime friends of the of the magazine. And um, we're really happy to have you in today. Thanks. It's great to Thank be you. here. So let's talk about Henry. I've never actually met Henry, but I see a lot on Facebook, a lot of the things that your family does, a lot of the adventures that you're out doing with Henry and Dylan. Um, and you're you're really everywhere. You're trying to give him some pretty good times, I would say. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been, um, in, you know, in, in every way, I think we're just a typical family. We do whatever, you know, whatever typical families do. We go on vacations and we do a lot of stuff in the, in the neighborhood and the community with Henry and Dylan. Um, and we like traveling, I think, ourselves. So we travel a lot, and we think it's important for our kids to travel and go everywhere. We just that, got that back from uh, Costa Rica three weeks ago, and it was a fantastic vacation. Yeah, that was like a Thanksgiving-type... Thanksgiving in Costa Rica, exactly. Yeah. All the pictures of the cousins, I think, I was enjoying, and all and Henry surfing. and Actually, I guess you were doing some surfing maybe as well. I got a little paddle boarding in when I was down there. Um, but honestly, I was missing Maine when I was there, when I was on the water, at least, anyways. We did a lot of walking, a lot of swimming. Henry has been doing swimming in school, so uh, he did a lot of swimming when we were in Costa Rica. Our house had a pool, so getting Henry out of the pool was um, the biggest challenge about the pool area. Once he was in, he wanted to stay in all day. Now, with Henry, um, I'm assuming that you had an idea before he was born that he would have the diagnosis of Down syndrome? No, no. <laughs> it, was, it was a total surprise, actually. I think most people do know now, but we didn't. It was a surprise to us, um, and it actually it took a little bit of time uh, for us to get the diagnosis. Um, so it, uh, it, it was a surprise to us, and after he, he was born here at Maine Medical, um, and uh, we connected pretty quickly. We're lucky here in the Portland area to have pediatric geneticists here who we met with right away. Um, and who hooked us up with the main Down Syndrome Network and then also with Child Development Services um, because kids with Down Syndrome have, uh, you know, a variety of delays, um, including motor skills. And, uh, and so we started with physical therapy with Henry when he was about six years old. I mean, sorry, six weeks old. Um, and, uh, and started just right away getting to know other people in the community and uh and trying to get as much as many resources and support for him um and our whole family as we could so this is interesting to me because having taken care of pregnant women before a big part of what we do is counseling for um it's the quadruple marker screen mm -hmm. and to to see if people's children have disabilities ahead of time so we offer this and not everybody takes advantage of this um was this something that you had decided not to get screened for, or it wasn't really an issue at all? It we wasn't. Ha we had a screening, and then there was one, um, you know, there was one marker that showed that there was possibly something going on, and so we went to a second screening where they did a lot of um, measurements. An ultrasound. So and you went through all the normal stuff, and you still didn't know ahead of time. Yeah, we got back from that ultrasound, and they were like, you know what, we think everything's fine. And at that point, we, we didn't feel like we needed to do any more testing. Right. And so when Henry was born, what was that like? Did you have a sense at that point that there was something that wasn't quite what you expected? I did. I sort of, Henry has these ears that are bent down. Um, and I saw his ears and I remember asking right away, um, you know, his ears are bent down. It looks, it looks a little odd to me. And the doctor who delivered Henry said, oh, that's no big deal. They'll, they'll fold right back. And I sort of knew that it, didn't, it doesn't look like those ears are going to fold back. That was just something that I remember seeing and, and wondering about. Mm -hmm. But then, um, you know, some of the other signs, like the telltale crease in the hand, he didn't have that. So it took a couple days, I think, for us to, um, I think we had an idea, but nobody was really like, hey, this is what's going on. 
right? We had a couple different pediatricians come in and look at him and say, you know, one who said yes, they thought he had Down syndrome, one who said no. And obviously the only way to tell for sure is to do a genetic test, which actually takes a couple of what weeks, days? I don't yeah, remember. they have to draw it the blood, and they had a really hard time drawing the blood from Henry. So they had to do that four or five times. Right, and then I think they forgot to send the blood in. It all, it took a long time. I think it was a good week and a half before we got the results back. But during that whole time, you're sort of, in the back of your head, you're sort of preparing yourself for the news, you know? You're, you're saying, there's, there's something out there and there's some questions, so what do we do if this is what happens? So what was that like to go from the mindset of, okay, we have two sons to, okay, we have two sons and one of them is going to need a little bit of extra help in his life? It was really, really hard. I mean, um, those those first two weeks after Henry was born was as tough as any weeks I've ever had, I think. And, you know, looking back on it at this point, I feel not quite embarrassed to feel that way, but you look back and you think, I think I think the biggest thing that happens when you have somebody when when you have a child at least from our perspective a child who has a disability is not so much that um, I, I think I think your sadness or your your grief is more tied up with the idea that what you had hoped would be will not be and it's not like what will be is going to be any worse or any better and in fact you know, I think in many ways what has happened is even better than the alternative. But it's just a question of get, letting go of what our expectations were and just accepting what is the reality. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the hardest part. And once you get to that, it feels so much better. And being able to kind of reimagine a, a different future, letting go of what you had, but starting to fill up your head with other paths, um, other adventures for your family. So this may be where programs such as the Special Olympics and the, and the Buddy Walk and some of these other organizations that I know you've been involved in, this may be where some of these come in. Absolutely. I think um, Henry was born in June. In By July, we had connected with the Maine Down Syndrome Network, and I think we went to our first pool party. Um, which was uh, which was great um, and overwhelming in some ways. Before Henry was born, I hadn't really known anybody with Down syndrome before, so suddenly it was just like jump in, meet everybody, um, and uh, and then September uh, September of every year is the Buddy Walk, and the Buddy Walk is the Down Syndrome Network's um, big annual fundraising and um, awareness event. There's a Buddy Walk in Portland and one in Augusta. And it's a chance for the families all over the state to kind of come together, see each other. A lot of families, you know, a state like Maine, people live really far from each other. Um, and uh, but everybody comes to the Buddy Walk, and uh, and you see friends, and um, you know, and you meet with all these support people: doctors, physical therapists, occupational therapists, um, pediatricians who come and uh, and support the families. So that's been that has been really important to us. And those groups are those groups are really interesting in a way because really the only thing we have in common is that we have a child with Down syndrome. And so the families that are there are just you know we're all we're all motivated to go um, 
to be in the same place. And there isn't really anything else that would bring that diverse of a group of people together. You know, any any other time you get that many people together, it's always because they share, you know, a common a, a common interest. Whereas, you know, obviously having a child with Down syndrome is a common interest as well. But it's sort of a different perspective. I think you get a much wider swath of people coming together. And so that's really interesting to see that, you know, this really affects everyone. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. I'm not good at a lot of things. I'm a solid lacrosse player, a good listener. I certainly have a head for finance and understanding of the human condition, but I'm hardly an expert at everything. No one is. I've learned over the years that if I can't do something, I have a network of friends, family, advisors, people who are there to lend me a hand. I lean on them to help me, and when they need help, I'm there for them as well. My skills and talents, like theirs, are a currency, and I spend it by helping. It's transactional and very rewarding. It's not unlike the relationship a lot of us have with our money. When we spend it for the betterment of others, it feels good. But getting to a place where you can feel that way is an evolution. You have to understand the steps you need to take in order to evolve. But if you don't think you have the skills to do it on your own, I know someone who can help. And we'd love to help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Dream Kitchen Studio by Matthew Brothers. Whether your style is contemporary, traditional, or eclectic, their team of talented designers are available to assist you in designing the kitchen or bath of your dreams. For more information, visit www.dreamkitchenstudio.com. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Apothecary by Design is a longtime sponsor of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. Coming up on January 28th, they have a very interesting event that we know you'll want to be part of. Physician assistant and homeopath Lindy Griegel will lead a discussion on how nutrition, sleep hygiene, and digital media influence our children's ability to be successful learners. For more information about this event on January 28th at Apothecary by Design, go to www.apothecarybydesign.com. It's an interesting world that we're living in now, I think, with all of, um, you know, we're trying to encourage kids to go into sports. And I know that your older son, Dylan, is very good in sports. He's, he's in fifth grade in Cape Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that's good because we want kids to be good in sports. But because there is this competitive thing, I would think that for some children, it gets very difficult to be patient with other kids who, even if they don't have Down syndrome, they aren't as fast, they aren't as skilled, they don't, you know, they just, they can't pitch as well, for example, or, you know, they can't throw a basketball as well. Do you think that having Henry part, as part of Dylan's life, is this enabling him to learn patience in some way? I think so. Yeah, I think patience and I think learning that that kids are different and different kids bring different things to the table. And some kids bring, you know, superior pitching skills and other kids bring superior Pokemon card collections or, you know, whatever it is that different, that you're going to have your strengths and weaknesses. Um, and uh, I think it's, I think he has learned that. I think coming, following at least Dylan's, um, Dylan's sort of, um, progress through sports the the biggest takeaway for me is that kids are a lot more understanding and patient than I I guess I had thought they were you know Um, when I grew up I was never on sports teams and I was sort of the kid who was sort of hanging out on the side of the basketball court not really paying attention thinking like when is gym gonna be over I want to get out of here so it's seeing the other end as a father and watching my son you know be really involved in sports and do really well with it um, but also seeing the compassion and the patience of the other kids on the teams has been really eye-opening for me, I think. I assumed it was like this cutthroat environment, but um, I, maybe it's just not as much like that as it was before, or maybe there's just something in the water in Maine, I don't know, but I think, I think we, um, you know, we maybe don't give kids as much credit as we should as far as that is concerned. Do you think that there is something about living in Maine that has had a positive impact on um, your lives with Henry and with Dylan? I, I think that um, because of where we live, um, the kids are, are just outside all the time. That's the way that we live. That's the way our neighborhood is. Obviously, that's Raft's job um, when the weather's nice is to be outside all the time, and the kids do that, and I think that's going to be very important for their health overall that they're just they're always on bikes or playing basketball it's been great for henry you know um in terms of his motor skills and things kids with down syndrome are typically pretty delayed in walking you know walking a year two years later than other kids um but you know if you keep your kid outside all the time you know near other kids playing basketball they're gonna follow the other kids and that's what we've done yeah, I mean, I think um, Maine, Maine is an incredible place to um, to sort of, you know, to grow and to develop. Um, I think, you know, the biggest challenge of living in Maine is probably finding a good job. But as far as feeding your soul is concerned, it's as good of a place as any. What well, is an interesting... It's interesting for me because I know that you own a stand-up paddleboard shop, which is how we came to know you in the first place. And Cree, you're an attorney, but you do a lot of work out of state. And somehow you've had to find this balance of work, life, family, in-state, out-of-state. Do you feel like you've somehow come to a place of somewhat, I, I guess, balance? I think so. I think, um, you know, it, like like any couple, you go out to dinner and... You look at other couples and you say, you know, you, you come away from dinner at the end of the night and you're saying, you know, I wonder how they do it, how, how it looks so good. And then you always look back on yourselves and you say, well, you know, how do we look to other couples? Do, do we look like we've got it all figured out? And I think generally we, 
we think, yeah, it seems to be working really well for us. Um, I, I think it's a really good balance. Yeah, you're going to make me knock on wood <laughs> just by saying that because <laughs> something will go out of balance immediately. Um, but yeah, I think we it's it, it, you're, it's always a challenge to figure out how to spend more good time with your kids. Um, and uh, and we're working on that all the time. But. Kree and I are both fairly independent people. And I think we don't really like to have other people tell us how or what to do things. You know, so um, both of us are able to sort of follow our own paths, but at the same time, um, our paths are not mutually incompatible. Well, they are very different, but I like that you're able to somehow weave what you're both doing together and together as parents. You know, somehow you're making it work. You're not both lawyers. You don't both oh, own yeah. a stand-up paddleboard shop. I think so. I think there's, I mean, I there's a little happy. bit of yeah. traditional role reversal. Um, but again, I think that's um, that probably helps to for the kids to understand that there's nothing that needs to be like taken for granted that you know sometimes maybe my mom has to go away for a week and she has to go work really really hard and you know and my dad's going to be home and he's going to pick me up from school every day um and that's just the way my family is it's not like all families have to be one way or another in the same way that you know my brother has down syndrome or henry looks up to his older brother and I don't know if he ever thinks Dylan doesn't have Down syndrome, but I think it's important for kids to just realize that there's a lot of different ways that things can happen. When you think about Henry's future, what does that feel like to you? Because I know that, you know, when I think about my three kids, I kind of think about, and then they go to college. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of, I don't know what happens at that point, but I know I have to, I get them to that place and I'll still be their parent. In fact, I have one in college now, one leaving next year. But that's that's where my mind works, and I assume that you know Henry could go off and he could also do college or something. But where, how does that feel to you when you think about his future? It's marginally terrifying, I think. Yeah, I would say it's super terrifying. <laughs> I don't. I try not to think about it that much, and I think we have, um, you know, in a lot of ways, we're ex- we're extremely lucky, and we have. We have a lot of resources. RAF is self-employed. We're going to have options, a variety of options for Henry as he gets older, I think, um, which is good because we're going to need them um, because they're really, there aren't, you know, there aren't a lot of, of post-high school educational opportunities for kids who have developmental disabilities. You know, there's Strive here in Portland, which is an incredible school, and it takes, what, 12 kids a year from all over the country. So his chances of going to Strive are slim, although I'll, we'll try and <laughs> make that happen. Um, you know, the, um, the adult here in Maine, um, through the Department of Health and Human Services, there are adult kind of day programs where people, you know, work on learning life skills and they have a place to go and da 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 And there's a two-year waiting list for that. So if you have... A 21-year-old, 22-year-old kid with Down syndrome in Maine, and you as a parent work, you need to find a place for your 22-year-old that is safe, first of all, but, you know, hopefully that's enriching to their lives as well, um, and you're on a two-year waiting list for community programming, so it's, there are not a lot of options, so maybe... You know, we'll see what Henry wants to do, but hopefully we can find him um, some employment. Maybe he'll love paddleboarding. Maybe he'll love boats. 
maybe he'll love radio shows. <laughs> well, you know, but we, you know, we'll deal with that. That's a long yeah, and time it's away. Really, it's we really got to get him through know, first grade. <laughs> it's really hard to know now what, um, what Henry will be like, you know. He could be really independent or he could need to live at home. Um, we just don't know. Right. Um, and we love him to death, so we'd be very happy to have him at home if that's what it takes. But it sort of means that looking down the road right now, our lives are not that different from... You know any parent who has a six and a ten year old but in you know 18 years our lives could be significantly different because instead of having our kids all go off to college and we only see them at thanksgiving and christmas and vacations one of our children is living at home with us all the time so we'll just have to see we don't know what it's going to be like but it is something you think about at night yeah, I, I think for me as a parent, it really, um, it just strikes me that it, it kind of changes the way you think about the parenting role. I mean, obviously, I'm still parenting my 20-year-old, right. but in a very different way. Right. And so just what it means to be a parent is, um, I guess it's it's more, it's just more interesting. It's <laughs> there's more, uh, yeah, more to think about. So that's why we try not to. <laughs> well, but taking every day as it comes. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's basically what you're saying, is you didn't really know that this was going to happen. You had Henry. You didn't find out what his diagnosis was for a couple of weeks after he was born. And then every step along the way, you just kind of keep re-upping and being present and, you know, finding the resources that you can and and living your lives. That's really what everyone does, you know, all the time. It's just it's more apparent when you have to, when your decisions seem like, maybe not more consequential on a regular basis but I think it's still everyone sort of comes around to that sort of way of living their lives I think you may be not giving yourselves quite enough credit I see a lot of patients and not everybody is able to do that I think that you've described it perfectly when you said we had to um, examine our expectations you know and manage them differently and because not everybody does. So I, I, I think the fact that you have needed to do that, and I'm sure you're not going to want to pat yourselves on the backs, but I'm just telling you, it's not as common as you might think. Yeah, I mean, but going back, I say that, um, I will say that having having Henry has caused me to be, um, I think, more compassionate and more to, towards other people, towards other adults, because... Um, you know, I, I think in some ways I was younger before I had Henry. I, had, I was younger in the way that I had, um, I was more naive. I was more innocent, maybe. And um, <clears throat> I was sort of coasting, I guess. And then once I had Henry, it wasn't only that, you know, suddenly my life has become a little more complicated. But I realized by talking to other people and by, you know, by going to these meetings and by going to support groups or by going to the body walk and things, I realized that really everyone sort of has probably something that's made their lives a little more complicated and you don't always know what that is but i think we all need to be open to the idea that we all have something going on um and if if we all come at, come from it from that perspective i think um i i you know i think we'll just be better people well i appreciate your coming in and talking to us today i know it's not always easy to talk about um talk about your family but it's something that i think people who are listening will 
get a lot out of. And certainly for people who are listening who have children with Down syndrome, I would encourage them to look into programs like the Buddy Walk and the Special Olympics and some of the other things that we've talked about today because it sounds like um, really community resources are fairly critical when it comes to um, having a child with special needs. Absolutely. We've been speaking with Raph Adams and Cree Swift, um, parents of Henry and Dylan, and um, we appreciate your coming in and talking to us today. Thanks very much. Thank you. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. To all the Special Olympians, their families, and coaches. I simply want to say thank you. Thank you for showing us all that no obstacle is ever too big to get over. You are true inspirations. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Using recycled sails collected from sailors and sailing communities around the world, Seabags designs and manufactures bags, totes, and accessories in Maine on Portland's working waterfront. From the best-selling classic Navy Anchor Tote to fresh new designs, Seabags offers retired sails another life by turning them into handmade, one-of-a-kind, nautical-inspired pieces. Please visit the Seabags store in Portland or Freeport or go to www.seabags.com to browse their unique collection. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. It is my great privilege to spend time with many wonderful parents here in the state of Maine. And today I'm spending time with a parent that I have a lot of respect for. This is an individual who's impacted not only the lives of her own children, but also the lives of many children in um, the greater Portland, Cape Elizabeth region and around the state. This is Karen Johnson, who is a coordinator and coach with the Cape Elizabeth Special Olympic Program. Thanks so much for coming in and being with us and for all the work that you've done over the years. Oh, well, thank you, and you're welcome. <laughs> Karen, you got, um, you became affiliated with the Cape Elizabeth program through your son, Eric, who is 25. You have three children, Tracy's 27, Eric's 25, and Allison is 21. And it was Eric coming into the world and um, being the person that he was that caused you to really decide this was an important thing for you. He started doing Special Olympic events in kindergarten and first grade, and the school would sign up for different events, and he would be part of it, and they would bring a group of kids to, um, you know, whether it be bowling, track and field, swimming, um, or soccer and basketball. So, he, you know, he would, he would do it, and I would 
and I would help out you know sometimes when they needed it or I would be there I would go and watch the the different events and it was um I was kind of hooked I mean it was really pretty um you know just like any going to any sporting event it was really cool to see but what I really liked about it I saw what these young kids and adults what their abilities were and that they um and, and what you know competing on a team competing uh, you know w within a group but also kind of competing with themselves that they can get you know um get better and better or progress in their sport you know and which is always um you know gives them a lot gives everybody a lot of confidence when they can reach a certain level in whatever they're doing so Eric has a diagnosis of autism is that right he does yep and what was that like to you have an older daughter and a younger daughter and then your middle child has autism what was that like as a parent um, very challenging um, very frustrating at times it, it was really overwhelming but you have to but I just had to do what I needed to do at that minute you know I, I whatever was facing me that day I had to do it or um, but I but the good news is I had a lot of great people that I worked with both like privately and in the schools great um, occupational therapists speech therapists teachers ed techs and we we're all worked as a team um, we, and e even before we went in the public school we you know I had people working with them um, you know early intervention and um, and as a parent it's it's really you know you, you go through a lot of when you get a diagnosis whether it's at you know at, at birth or like for us it was two to four years later you you go through all the just like anything you you first you might be in denial about it and then you grieve it and grieving you need to grieve it but then but then you have to get moving too you have to find the strength to say what's what's right up ahead of me and what can I do and who can I who can I ask for help for this and who can support him they will eventually then will eventually support me um, you know teach him what he needs to know and and um, and and go forward and reaching all those goals so you didn't initially know that Eric had autism no we didn't um, but you know the, it, all the signs were there um, but not knowing it and you know he was a he was a little kid full of life you know very laughing you know and he played with his older sister you know um, kind of like the parallel play but she could engage him and he didn't and you know a typical story at age two he kind of lost his language he had you know he would um, I can't think of the word but he would you know, he had a lot of gibberish, you know, but I, I could kind of understand it just because I was with him all the time. But, you know, people people couldn't understand him. And so he, he lost, he had about 20 words at age two. And that's usually when kids start putting words together. And, and then he, you know, all the little signs of lining up all his engines and, you know, and, you know, not really looking at you and, um, not not giving you that eye contact, you know that the doctors always ask, does he make eye contact? And I would say, well, well, yeah, he does. But then, you know, and I had Tracy before him, but I, 
you know, but I forgot. And then when I had Allison, and and he was four years old, and when I had Allison and she just took my eyes and locked onto them, I said, that's what they're asking me. What, you know, so the other people saw the signs before I did, or I saw them, but I didn't acknowledge them. And people, and all these wonderful people who were working with me at the time were kind of, you know, trying to lead me to where I needed to be. And, um, and eventually, and, and I did, and when someone finally asked me straight out one day, does he have autism, it, it was like a, you know, a bubble burst, and I said, oh my God. You know, I knew it, but I didn't really want to look at it. Well, and this person just, just matter-of-factly asked me, and it's probably, that was probably the best thing that could have happened at that time, because I was said, okay, here we go. Now, now we're gonna go, now, now we're gonna really, get the support that we need to, you know, help them. It does seem from having spoken with other parents who have children with developmental delays, autism, other problems, that there there is the sense that at some point you just have to accept what it is and, and you have to move forward and you have to be strong and you have to choose to do things that maybe you thought you'd never have to do, maybe you didn't really ever want to do, because you still have a child that's sitting there that you're you know, you've given birth to, and they need you. Yeah, all that I can say is it's it's a it's a a journey, an individual journey for everybody. You know, there's some people who can just really grasp grasp it right away and say, you know, give me all the information that you can. And for me, it was, you, you know, whether it was probably denial, probably you know, I I was you know had a you know, we got the diagnosis when Allison was born, so I had three little kids, and that was, you know, um, th- th- it was just kind of overwhelming, but yet I knew something was going on. But the good news is we, we were, you know, we did work with, you know, the doctor told us to get an OT and a speech therapist, so we were doing everything that we would have done if we had, you know, the, the diagnosis. So, but then when we, uh, when I heard that, had that person ask me, that's when I said, well, we're really gonna, you know, I needed, I needed to get that word, you know, and I needed to embrace it. And what someone told me once, and I, and this is what I held on to, and and what I always would say is, well, I don't want to label them, but you know what, sometimes labels help you, help you if you have something that you can, you know, that, that you can say, well, this is it, and this is what I need to do. It's almost like you can look in a book now and say, you know, before when I wouldn't, when I wouldn't want to look at it, or I, or I didn't have, have a word, or I didn't even want a word. I, you know, I, I was like, grasping everywhere for help. But then, so you, you take the label and you use it. You, but you don't. <laughs> but you know, you didn't say, well, this is, this is my autistic son. This is, or this is my son. He has autism. You just say, this is Eric. You know, and then, and then, and then, of course, he would. You know, then people would say, "Okay, well, he's an interesting character, or whatever." But, you know, he 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 showed people who he was, whether that was good or bad, depending on the situation. But, you know, it um, it is what it, it you know it it is what it is, and um. Uh, so anyway, it just once you get, once you can grasp that, and not to say that's it, because there's all t- 
times during your whole his whole life when I you know you'd be going along fine and then and then all of a sudden you hit a hill and you have to climb up that hill and then you know you, you go down the hill again and sometimes you hit a mogul and you goes you go flying again but um but there's and then and then sometimes you 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 grieve you know you grieve when he's not invited to a birthday party you grieve at the kindergarten screenings because you know he, everybody has their kid and you you know you're chasing yours or you, then it, you, you grieve at 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 dances you grieve at at high school graduation at college acceptance letters but you but I couldn't and I and I let myself do that but I couldn't stay there long because because you just got to keep going, you know. But I think I had to do it. I have to do it because if you just push it away, it just it just festers, you know. So kind of, you know, this you know you feel what you feel type of thing. But um, but anyway, so but anyway, it, I think it's a personal journey for everybody when they can look at it and when you know whatever what whatever struggle you have in your life, I think it's just you know, there's just different paths you go to get there. And then I think with with something like with autism, I will say the earlier you can get there, the better off he'll be or she'll be and you'll be and that um, you can go forward. And, um, and then your goal is always, like with your typical kids, is always to have, have him um, have some type of a life, you know, once he leaves the public school or as he, as an adult. So that's always your goal, and just like you, it's just a different goal than your typical kid, but it's still that goal, you know. And you still you still take those steps to get there. The goal of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is to help make connections between the health of the individual and the health of the community. The goal of Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes is to deepen our appreciation for the natural world. Here to speak with us today is Ted Carter. I um, am always amazed at how much the land speaks to us if we just stop and pay attention. I will very often place gazing rocks, which I call gazing rocks because uh, it's a big, huge slab of stone that I place in the landscape where you can lie on your back and look at the stars or you can and reflect and dream about things and places you want to go to. But I often go to these places. They're called power places. Uh, my shaman that I worked with in the desert for many years talked to me about power places. And I go out there and leave the drafting table, go out to this special spot that I've created, lie on my back, and instantly almost fall into a dream state. And uh, there's something called creative visualization, which I think a lot of people know about. And I'll just sort of turn that design slowly in my mind and look and see the design from different angles and sort of create it in a very sort of dreamlike state. And then I return back to the drafting table refreshed and ready to design. And Time and time again, it's never failed me that this is how some of my most creative designs take shape. I'm Ted Carter, and if you'd like to contact me, I can be reached at tedcarterdesign.com. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast understands the importance of the health of the body, mind, and spirit. Here to talk about the health of the body is Travis Bullier of Premier Sports, a division of Black Bear Medical. 
Black Bear Medical serves many of the Special Olympians in Maine. We take pride in helping these athletes be the best they can be. We like to say at Black Bear Medical, it's your life to find it your way. And we're here to help. We all have challenges in life. Whether we're born into them or find ourselves with difficulty as we get older, we all need assistance to physically and emotionally push through them. Black Bear Medical provides daily living aids, medical supplies, medical equipment, and sports health products to help anyone, anywhere, anytime be the best they can be. Visit blackbearmedical.com for more information about our over 900 products and services. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine Seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. It is interesting to hear you talk about the stages of grief, you know, denial, and eventually acceptance. But, but the fact that it's that these—it's not that you start grieving and then you end grieving and then you move yeah. on. It's that it's a continual process through it is through it life. Is. Yeah, and it is also interesting because I also have three kids, and even at the important milestones, I feel some grieving you know I have my son who graduated from high school and I simultaneously was happy for him but grieved because he was leaving me I have my daughter who's going to graduate from high school and and all of these things I think as parents just keep they hit us in a way that we don't realize that they will right but I would think that that would be really intensified for you because you're sitting with a lot of other parents who are kind of doing the normal grieving thing and you've got that one extra layer of something on top of that. Well, but you, know, but you know the way I look at that? I mean, I think <laughs> I think the way I look at it is I don't know your story. You know, you, you can see my story because it's right there. <laughs> but who knows, you know, what's really in your family. And that's what kind of, and, and this is a, I'll tell you this quick story. When Eric was little and... Um, <laughs> You know, he would have a tantrum or he would, you know, or he would be acting out and all these people would walk by me. And of course, I'm assuming they're thinking the worst of me, like, oh my goodness, what a terrible mother. Oh, this, you know, oh my goodness. And couldn't, can't she handle that kid? And we were teaching Eric that, yes, I'm his mother and you, he calls me mom, but my name's Karen. So if you're ever lost, you, you know, when someone says, what's your mom's name? Karen. So we would role model it back and forth. And then eventually he just started calling me Karen. And I didn't really mind because, you know, it, it didn't really bother me. My husband would, my husband said, you know, I'm your dad, call me dad. And he would. But I, and one day it was time to leave a store and he just did a spread eagle on the floor and he was yelling. And all these people, and he's, he's telling me, saying, no, Karen, no. And all these people were walking by me. And what I would say to myself is, well, isn't she a nice woman taking that kid out for to give his mother a break? And I could let it go. I could let all of that go. <laughs> then then I then I could pick him up, carry him out and go into the car and then you know, so I was kind of like the hero and not the you know, but I just tell you that story because I and whenever I see 
parents in the store struggling with their typical kid, and I say to myself, thank God it's not me today, or, you know, not so much now they're adults, but, but, but you can let it go if you, you know, have these little tricks in your head. And, and everybody has something, you know, everybody. And, um, and that's just what I assume that when, now, when, you know, when he was younger, or even now if I'm out and, you know, he's having a tough time, they just, you know, well, <laughs> thank God it's not me today, or, you know, so. But yeah, that's that is actually a fair point. Even people who at least look typical, maybe there's something not, you know, that you don't just don't know about. In fact, yeah. I would argue that that most people are atypical. Really, it's yeah. just that some some of them are blessed to look a certain way. Well, in, in you know what the the definition of a functional family is, one. <laughs> I like that. So there's, there's dysfunction, you know, in every family, whatever it is, you know. You do, but we just all do the best we can at that minute, you know. So the Special Olympics has been a way for you to help kids connect with themselves, but also to help um, kids connect with other kids who are doing right. Special Olympics, right. and also for family members of Absolutely. these kids to connect with one another. Absolutely. Yep. And I think what... What it does for, you know, in our program, um, you know, we have, we, we, we do three schools, uh, elementary, middle, and high school, and um, we have about, right now we have about 15 to 20 kids total, and um, the, the, the elementary school is a little bit less, or not as, not as organized as the middle and high school, but we're kind of, Dave Croft is the other coach, and he and I are kind of working on that a little bit, but um we do we do schedule practices so if it's like the basketball will be coming up so we're going to have a unified team which is uh, through special olympics it's um you have three special olympic athletes and then two partners so the partners will play basketball but they'll with the three special olympic athletes but they'll feed the ball to the kids to the to the athletes and make maybe set up the plays so um, so we'll we'll be having practices with that, and then for the younger kids, um, they'll base they'll they'll be working more on skills. So we'll have you know a practice for just working on skills because there's a skill competition there. So and then with the middle school and high school kids, it'll be a little bit more of an organized team. And then some of some of the middle school and high school kids will also do skills depending on you know um, if, if whatever they want to do or their ability at the time. We do teach um, sportsmanship, what it's meant to be on a team, you know, what it means to win or lose, what it means to be a team player, and all the, um, the social part of it too, you know, um, going with your team on the bus, um, what, what you do on the bus, what you do while you're getting, waiting, waiting for your game, um, and then the, pra you know, the, the practice right before it, and then, then the whole game itself. And I think what we also try to do is we try to, when, when we have them do these different activities, I think it, we, it empowers them and it also empowers the parents a bit because not only are the kids realizing what they can do, the parents also realize what their kids can do and it kind of empowers them that they can um, 
you know, to know that your kid can, not that they didn't know they could do it, but, you know, to whatever level they're at. Because, you know, our swim program that we have is kind of the, you know, kids, will, we start start them when they're in middle, in elementary school all the way through high school. And some of the kids are, are really nervous in the water and, um, and afraid. And once we get them in, and it takes a little while, but then before you know it, they're, you know, doing laps with either a bubble or by them without the bubble, but it's always, you know, it's self-fulfilling for them because swimming's the best because once you, you know, can keep your head up above water and you're not going to go under, then you know you can go a little bit further. So it's instant gratification for them almost, and it's, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful activity for them to do. And swimming's one of the probably the best. Um, you know, because that's something they can bring on after they get out in, into the into the community, into the real world, and that's a lifelong activity that they can do. And it's great for their sensory systems. It's, you know, it just organize help organize everything for them. And um, anyway, it's that's I think that's one of our most successful programs within the within the program because we do use it. We, we have the kids swim one day a week during school and we use that for practice too for the Special Olympics swim meet. And so some of what the Special Olympics does really is just helping kids learn behaviors which are specific to sports, but they're not just specific to sports, they're specific to social situations Absolutely. and the world Absolutely. at large. And, that, and that's what we try to stress too is the, um, you know, um, the social part of, of being out there in the in the community, um, even like but being on like I said before, being on bus, being safe on a bus, um, um, daily living skills. You know, we work on fine motor skills with them. You know, you have to lace up, you have to lace up that skate, or you have to tie your shoe, or you know, you, you now you need to, you know, put on your jacket or what, whatever. And then the gross motor is just well, that's what the activity is. You know, teaching them how to. Um, or encourage them to run that extra, you know, you know, 50 yards, or skate, or ski, or and then, and then they can realize that they can do it, so they can go a little bit further. Which isn't really that much different than coaching what you've termed typical kids. Oh, right, right. It's just it, that's true. But I think, I think sometimes with, with um, the kids we work with, we, you know, it's. Uh, Typical kid just might learn it by just seeing it, by by seeing somebody do it. But you know, with with these kids, sometimes you have to break it down so that they so that they know what they're doing and why, and even why they're doing it. You know, so, but other kids kind of typical kids might just not not all the time though. <laughs> Some typical kids you have to tell them, but you know, a lot of typical kids will just because there's that peer pressure too to do. You know, and so, like someone like Eric with autism, they don't get that that peer pressure. They don't. It's all you know. It's all like a theory of mind thing where it's, you know, they they don't feel all that pressure that like a, a typical teenager would. You know, to conform to what the norm is there. You know, Karen, I'm sure there are people who are listening who. Um would like to get more information about Special Olympics in Maine, Special Olympics in Cape Elizabeth. Is there a website or is there a place you would well, refer they, people to? If they if they're interested in in um in Special Olympics, they can go on the um, Special Olympics of Maine website, and I that's um, S O M E. Um, no, I'm sorry, it's specialolympicsmaine.org, and they can see everything 
that's the the state that this the state Special Olympics um, offer for for kids. Um, and then they, there's a couple of people, contact people on there, and if, you, if they wanted to find out any information about unified sports, they could, there's a contact name, Ian Frank, who can give you um, information about that. And they also, Special Olympics of Maine also offers programs throughout the year. They offer um, not only the, you know, the events that we go to, but they have like unified programs in the fall and in the summer, and they have they have golf, they have soccer, they have basketball. Bocce too is 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 coming up and coming. So they do a lot, you know, just uh, throughout the year, not just with the actual like you know events that they have. We've been speaking with Karen Johnson, who is a coordinator and coach with the Cape Elizabeth Special Olympic Program. I thanked you at the beginning of the program for coming in and speaking with us and for doing all the work you do, but I really just, I can't emphasize enough how grateful I am and how grateful so many people who have benefited from well, your work are. And if, if I could say one thing before, I, I wouldn't be able to do this, Dave and I wouldn't be able to do this without the all the staff that's at school, the, the teachers, the ed techs, the social workers, the, the occup, occupational therapists, that we, you know, that works at um, the the elementary school, and she's worked with the older kids too. We wouldn't be able to do this without them, and and also with the parent support is is key. They they support us a hundred percent in what we're what we're trying to do, and with without all of that support, I don't think we, you know, we wouldn't be we wouldn't have what we have in Cape Elizabeth. Well, since I haven't had a chance to meet all of these people yet, I will thank them now, <laughs> and hopefully I will have a chance to meet them in the future. And I, and I know that our, our community and our state is better for having them and you in the world. So thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. You have been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 124, Special Olympians. Our guests have included Ralph Adams, Cree Swift, and Karen Johnson. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit doctorlisa.org. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and Pinterest and read my take on health and well-being on the Bountiful blog. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our special Olympians show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Seabags, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Dream Kitchen Studios, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belisle. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. 
Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Our online producer is Katie Kelleher. Become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Summaries of all our past shows can be found at doctorlisa.org.